Hey there, and welcome to the JW Forwardcast, the podcast that helps former Jehovah's Witnesses and other former members of high-control groups and cults to rebuild their lives and become the people they were always supposed to be. So, welcome back to the Forwardcast. Uh, Today's show is going to be a little bit different. Um, As you know, we've got a number of ways for you guys to send questions in to the Forwardcast. You can either leave us questions on Twitter, um, or you can email jwforwardcast at gmail.com. A lot of people have been doing that, so uh, myself and uh, Alice Cheshire decided to dedicate an entire episode to question and answer. So that's going to be coming up very shortly. But first, a little housekeeping. Uh, Firstly, as you probably remember, we've been asking people if they could leave us uh, star ratings and reviews on iTunes, because that really helps us climb up the iTunes charts and helps more people to discover the show. Well, thanks very much, guys, because you've been you've heard our call and you've not only been leaving us star ratings on iTunes. We've currently got five stars from six ratings. Thank you very much. We've also got two reviews, so I'm going to read them now. So Dave B1 says, listen to learn the real truth about Jehovah's Witnesses. Thank you, David. And uh, Rick N says a fantastic concept to help those struggling to cope with leaving the cult of the JWs. Looking forward to future help and advice that I can use in my wake-up journey and also help my wife who is just starting to open her eyes. Great work, Covert. So thanks very much, Rick Newman. He's, uh, he's left his name in there as, in that review as well. And um, also congratulations to waking up and also for your wife waking up as well. And I think we've been chatting on Twitter as well, Rick, so it's been uh, good to chat to you. Um, so guys, thanks ever so much for those reviews. Um, if anyone else would like to leave us a review... Um, please feel free to go ahead because the more we get the better. Um, I will read them out on uh, the forward cast so um, as a way of saying thank you for doing the review uh, and I'm also wondering how long it is until I get an angry JW leaving a review. Um, I'll read those out as well because those are always funny. Speaking of uh, angry JWs I actually have my well I actually have two angry JW comments on my YouTube channel as you may know you can um, also listen to the forward cast on uh, YouTube my YouTube channel is covert fade um, there's actually some additional stuff up there as well but you can get episodes of the forward cast but Jehovah's Witnesses have found my channel so I thought I'd uh, I thought I'd read one of the comments they left because it really made me laugh so <clears throat> here we go this is a comment from S Ike so I'm assuming he must be a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I don't know, I'll let you guys decide from the comments. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do my best to, um, to, to read out what he's written because the spelling and grammar is interesting. Okay, here we go. And who protects us from your mental diarrhea? Bah! Blues! What are you poor, but is already pro-term from you? I don't know what he's talking about. For this first knows that in the last days scoffers will come with their ridicule, which proceed according to their own desires. Judas no, Judas said these scoffers were full of desire for godless things. I think he means Jesus. He called them animal people who have no spiritual mind. That's why all the fools fraternize here. And he's, he's put here in all capital letters, you know, because obviously that's what you do. Uh, you are so ridiculous. Lol. Uh, yes, and the, the so has has many O's after it. Um, so, <laughs> so um, S. Hike, thank you for your comment. Please leave many more because that was really funny. 
Um, and if I get any more hilarious JW comments, um, I'll probably read them out as well. Uh, moving on to Patreon. Um, I have a new Patreon to... A new Patreon? A new patron. A new patron to say hello to. Um, Cameron has uh, joined as a patron of the Forward Cast. So thanks ever so much for your support, Cameron. Uh, we were chatting uh, a little bit on Patreon when you joined up just to get... Uh, I, you know, I, I always try to do this when patrons um, join up and support the cast. I chat to them, find out who they are, um, you know, have a bit of a back and forth and, and basically thank them for their support. Um, it's really good to get Cameron's story. Um, so thank you for chatting to me, Cameron. Also, he, he said I could use his name. That's one of the things I do for my new patrons is I always ask if I can use their name first. So uh, Cameron said I could say hi to him on the forecast and it's been uh, great briefly getting to know you on Patreon. Um, and again, there's the, the Patreon pages is growing. So thanks for all your support, guys. Um, we're getting some new stuff up there for patrons to say thank you for your support. Um, there's some Ask Me Anything episodes. There's some additional videos as well. So um, from sponsoring us from as little as a dollar a month, you guys can start getting access to that content. And that brings us to the end of the housekeeping. So without further ado, I am now going to introduce the Q&A section with myself and uh, XJW and professional life coach, Alice Cheshire. Hey everybody and welcome back to JW Forwardcast with myself, Covert Fade, and Q. And Q. And she's looking at me across the table like... Oh, what you, do you actually want me... want me to introduce myself? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I, I kind of always left that sort of stuff to you. Oh, hello. Uh, uh, and it's me, Alice Cheshire. Is that what you were going for? That's exactly what I was right. hoping for. Sorry. Oh, honestly, can't get the staff these days. <laughs> you really should think about hiring professionals. I should do. JW Forwardcast is now advertising uh, for professional podcasters who know what they're doing. Although, in all fairness, I'd probably be firing myself if uh, I applied that criteria. So. I'll just uh, show myself out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So for this episode of the JW Forwardcast, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, we opened the Forwardcast up for questions um, because Alice Cheshire is a professional life coach in addition to being a former Jehovah's Witness. Um, and as since as I'm an XJW activist, I've kind of encountered and spoken to a lot of people who've, who've been through the various problems XJWs face. So we've said, you know, if you guys want to ask us questions on anything XJW related, fire it to jwforwardcast at gmail.com. And we've had a really good response, guys. Thank you so much for sending your questions in. For time reasons, we've picked four questions we're going to go through on this episode. So if you don't hear your question, don't worry, we will get round to you on the next Q&A session. Um, but we want to make sure everyone gets a good discussion. So we've only picked four for this Q&A. So buckle yourselves in, grab some popcorn, and uh, we're going to go through questions one to four on the JW Forwardcast. Bam, 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 bam. Okay, so what I'm going to do is read out each question in turn, and then we're going to discuss it. So question one has been sent in by a listener who wishes to remain anonymous, but their question reads as follows. Hey, Covert and Alice, I really enjoyed your first podcast and have found it to be really helpful. Just recently, I woke up after being brought up from birth as a JW, and currently I am PIMO, that's physically in, mentally out. All my life I have struggled with decision-making, even the most basic decisions. You'll think I'm joking when I say that choosing something as simple as deciding on a sandwich in a shop can take me five minutes. 
I do laugh about it as I do realise it's ridiculous. However, making more serious decisions is nearly impossible, and I've never really understood why this is. The only thing I thought it was due was because I <clears throat> sorry, the only thing I thought it was due to was because I am always scared of making the wrong decision, and that could be partly due to low self-esteem. Recently, I read in Stephen Hassan's book, Mind Control, which is actually the book Combating Cult Mind Control, um, which if you're an XJW and you haven't read that, I really recommend reading it, uh, that being in a cult that reinforces, that enforces rules on absolutely everything in your life takes away your natural ability to make decisions. This finally opened my eyes to exactly what the problem had been. Please can you give me some advice on how I can start improving my decision-making skills? Thank you. So that is a really interesting question, and I think it's going to be relevant for a lot of former Jehovah's Witnesses and members of other former high control groups as well. Um, this, is, this is a point Stephen Hassan brings out in his book, which, again, guys, if you're an XJW, go and, go and read his work. It's really compelling and is a fantastic insight into what was done to you. Um, but Alice, that question, how do you go about learning to make decisions again when your natural ability to make decisions has been sabotaged by a cult? Yeah, I, I think this is a really great question. And one of the reasons I think it's a really great question is because I think to a certain extent, most of us can relate to this. Um, and obviously we've done an episode uh, of the forwardcast already that talked a little bit about fear and, and fear of failure and all those sorts of things. And, and analysis you know, paralysis. Analysis paralysis. Which is touring now, my new band, which is, not, uh, Alice is picking something up to throw at me. I think oh, I probably better God. not go into that again. <laughs> Analysis paralysis, which is, you know, this idea of, <laughs> of of being terrified to do anything because but because you're so scared of making a mistake, you're scared of moving forward. You're scared of doing anything at all. But what I really love about um, this question is that um, the, 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 the individual who's asked it has already, I think she's already halfway there because what she's actually done is... Um, she's managed to work out why she's having this issue. And that is always the first place to start. Knowledge is power. Understanding is power. So what she's already done is she's recognised this is an issue that I'm having and she's taken steps to understand why. And she's hit the nail on the head. And basically what's happening there, which is exactly what she's talking about, is she grew up in a world, as did so many of us, where, first of all, so many things we weren't allowed to make decisions. So many decisions were made for us already. Making a decision, it's almost like a muscle. It's something that you've got to exercise. It's something yeah. that you've got to get good at. If you aren't able to make decisions in your life, then it gets harder to do. So if you think about all the areas in our lives where we weren't allowed to make decisions. So take, for example, you know, what job we were going to do, um, what we were going to study at school. You know, for men, whether or not they were going to grow facial hair it was not <laughs> so much a problem for me, although it's getting more so as I get older. But we'll move on from there. Um, <laughs> who are you going to marry to a certain extent? Um, you know, how are you going to raise your children? What dress you're going to wear? Um, dress and grooming. You know, as a man, are you going to wear tight pants, etc., etc., which has a different meaning in the UK than it does to America, which always makes me laugh, but anyway. So we had so many decisions that were taken away from us. So first of all, we're not used to making decisions. The second thing, and we talk about this a lot in one of the earlier uh, podcast episodes, is 
the judgment that comes with making a wrong decision when you are a JW. So if you do make a mistake, if you do make the wrong decision, you are hit with sanctions. Now, those sanctions could be that you're viewed as being a, a bad witness. Uh, maybe you could be marked. Maybe you could be reproved. Maybe you could be disfellowshipped. And everything that goes with that, losing your family, etc. And then on the grander scheme of things, if you make enough bad decisions, you're going to burn in a holy hell at Armageddon. So we understand why we're so frightened of making these decisions. Yeah. And that's a really good first step. So yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's the I think I think it's like you say, it's this toxic combination of having all your decisions taken away from you. And then in the remaining realm where you do have some decisions left, the consequences for making the wrong decision are so bad mm. that you are left, you know, having very little practice at something and then terrified that when you do do it, everything is going to descend on you from on high and pianos will fall on your head mm. and, you know, volcanoes will open up and spew lava and it will all go horribly wrong. Um, an understanding, I think I agree, that the, the, this caller, this writer, this writer, this listener. This listener. This listener. This listener. There we go. This there listener. We go. There we go. It's kind of halfway there already because she recognises why this is going on. Mm. And so, you know, knowledge is power. So given that, what we need to do is start improving some decision-making mm. skills. So we, I will actually say we, we have touched on this briefly in episode three, but so that might be worth revisiting because we do talk about it again, but let's talk about it in some, in some detail here. Mm. How do we get over this point of paralysis? Of so, analysis, paralysis, analysis, paralysis, analysis, paralysis. <laughs> I'm going to throw something She probably at you. is, actually. Um, so the first thing we need to remember is that if we feel frightened or if we feel afraid about making a decision, it means that we're pushing our boundaries. So is, there is never going to be a point, if, if, if we want to live a full, grown, happy, fulfilled life, there's never going to be a point where we don't feel afraid to make a decision, okay? So we need to get away from this idea that the end goal is not to, not to move forward, not to feel afraid, because we're always going to feel afraid. So we need to get used to that idea. We need to get used to the idea that fear is actually a good thing because it means we're pushing our boundaries. In our previous podcast, I mentioned a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, which is a book by Susan Jeffers. And I do recommend uh, that everybody, if this resonates with you at all, go and read that book because it's really good. One of the things I really think is important is getting into this idea of no-lose scenarios. So we've been indoctrinated to think that decision-making is linear, uh, sorry, is binary. There's a right decision and a wrong decision. There is black and there's white. There's good and there's bad. And yet what actually happens when you make a decision is that there are all a million shades of grey. It doesn't necessarily mean that because you ha you've chosen one thing, one is necessarily good and one is necessarily bad. We need to start viewing the choices that we make as a learning experience. So, okay, we make a decision, maybe it doesn't quite work out the way that we wanted it to. Going back to the example, maybe we choose the wrong sandwich, and maybe actually once we finish that sandwich, we realize that, yeah, I didn't actually want that anyway. We chose something absolutely disgusting and it was horrible. Okay, we've learned one way not to have a sandwich. And that's a way of looking at it. It's a slight mindset shift. Rather than thinking that if I make the wrong decision, I'm going to have to live with this for the rest of my life. If you get the wrong sandwich throw it in the bin, mm. get a different sandwich. You know, yeah. I'm not trying to trivialise this in any way. I'm just trying to... Well, the point you're making is very much that, A, um, there isn't necessarily always a wrong decision. There are just different experiences yeah. you have. And yeah. B, you can course correct. 
Absolutely. So if you if you're making a decision, you decide. You know what? I don't think this is working out that well. Mm. Course correct a little bit. Yeah. Maybe if it helps you, if you've got a fear of making the wrong decision, sit down and plan a contingency. Mm. And that might help you. Um, and something else I think that was really interesting we discussed about is feel the fear and do it anyway. Once you've made a few decisions that have maybe gone wrong, you realise that you're still there. Mm. You can deal with it. So if maybe the decision is I don't know which job to go for. Um, we'll go for it. And if you find yourself in a job you don't like, well, you'll deal with it. Mm. You'll go find another one. Yeah. Um, You know, all of these decisions in life, it's very rare that I'm making the wrong decision and then everything is destroyed. Yeah. That's so rare in life. Most decisions, you kind of have a chance to correct it if it goes wrong. And even if it goes wrong, it's like, well, that was a learning experience, but I'm still here. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we, we, we talked in that podcast about working out what it is we're really afraid of mm. um, and the three different levels of fear. I'm not going to go into it massively, but the bottom line is what we're actually afraid of it is not the thing or the failure. What we're afraid of is that we won't be able to deal with it when it happens. We won't mm. be able to do, to deal with making a wrong decision or, 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 or things. Do you know what? I think we need to get away from this whole making a wrong decision thing. Mm. Maybe it, it, we should more talk about it. we won't be able to deal if it doesn't turn out the way that we hoped. Yeah. Maybe that's a better way. Yeah. Because otherwise, I think we need to get away from the idea that a decision itself can be wrong. Yeah. It's just that we may not end up where we hoped. And I think also what's really important here is learning to trust yourself again, learning to trust that you can make these decisions and that you have the power and the knowledge and the expertise and the self-belief to start owning your own life, Mm. to start taking responsibility and ownership for the decisions that you make. Because all of that was taken away from us in the cult. For so long, we were told... um, uh, what's the what's the Bible verse? It does not belong to man even to direct his step. Yeah, we were told you're not capable of making decisions. You're not capable of running your own life. Look at the mess that you've got yourself into by trying to live your own life. Mm. So we need to start learning to trust ourselves again. Part of that comes with knowing ourselves. I always recommend whenever I'm dealing with uh, or dealing with that sounds awful. Whenever I'm talking to to clients, um, whenever we're starting out, we always go through something called a values exercise, which is about getting to know who you are. What actually makes you tick? What do you want? As soon as you begin to understand who you are and what you want, you start to trust yourself more. As soon as you understand what drives you as a person, then it gives you so much more confidence to stand in your own truth and say, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is what I choose for Mm. my life and to stick with it. And so that is something that will be really, really, really important, I think. So that values exercise, let's let's drill in on that a bit bit more because um, I agree because part of the problem making a decision sometimes is maybe we're not sure what we want out of life. And this is probably the big life decisions. Obviously, smaller decisions like, do I want pizza or steak? That's like, what do I fancy? But some decisions are very much, I don't, sometimes I think people can be confused about what they really want in mm. life. The big decisions, yeah. do I emigrate abroad? Do I take this job? Or do I quit my job and do this instead? Yeah. Um, and the ability to actually know this is what really makes me happy and what I want in life can really help guide this. Is there, obviously, we're going to come back to this in more detail later. Um, take a drink take a drink people people. there we go Um, that is the forward cast drinking game every time we say that but is there one quick thing someone can like um, for our our listener here for Mm. example can do to start 
zeroing on what her values are, what she wants yeah. out of life, those exercises? Well, so there is... If, if, you, if you do a quick Google search for a values exercise, it okay. will come up with a million and one different ones, but all of them go something along a similar vein, which is essentially writing out the things that are important to you, mm. okay? And when I say things that are important to you, I'm talking about the value. So um, someone might say, um, my, one of my values is I want a nice house. Okay. Well, it's not actually the house that's the value. What is it that the house gives mm. you? Maybe it's security mm. that the house gives you. Or maybe it gives you status mm. in other people's eyes. So go through and list out values. Typical values could be family, love, honesty, mm. um, uh, integrity, um, uh, uh, knowledge. Yeah, sort of creativity. Creativity. Um, all those kind of various things yeah. that drive us all yeah. we aspire to. Yeah. And keep going until you've got ten. Okay. okay? Um one that comes up an awful lot and, and when I did this exercise for the first time this is the exercise that changed my life um, one of the things that came up for me was freedom okay so freedom love happiness joy uh, integrity mm. honesty daddy daddy oh, it's keep, an interesting value for an ex-cult member to have well, actually freedom. Yeah, yeah yeah keep going until you've got 10 what you can then do and this is a little bit difficult to describe very quickly but if you do a google search and find yourself a values exercise there are a million and one out there you then go through and identify and put those values into order and what you're essentially doing is i can't be happy if i don't have this particular value mm. and you rank them in order until you work out what is the top thing the most important thing to you that you cannot be happy without mm. now when i did this values exercise i th put in there you know i want money and i want a relationship and i want love and i want family and blah 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 but what eventually came out was that i couldn't be happy even if i had all of those things if i didn't have freedom Mm. I couldn't be happy in a relationship if I wasn't free. I could have all the money in the world, but if I wasn't free, I wouldn't be able to enjoy it. And so what you then end up with is almost like a formula of happiness for your life. It's almost like you have a guiding star. Yeah. Like whenever these difficult decisions come up, your guiding star is there to kind of which of these decisions takes me closer to that star exactly exactly and what you suddenly realize as well is not only does this guide you in the future but i guarantee you as soon as you finish this exercise you will suddenly understand why you react the way you do to certain situations you will suddenly realize that's why mm. i wasn't happy in that job or that relationship or that scenario because it was fundamentally going against who i am my mm. core values what makes me tick and so this exercise i think and this doesn't just apply to helping to make decisions or you know any of those things I think everybody listening to this, regardless, it would be a fantastic exercise for anybody mm. to do. Mm. But particularly coming to know yourself, to understand yourself, and to trust yourself more, this is like brilliant. And this is and this is especially relevant for XJWs because, like you said, everyone should do this anyway. But XJWs may have spent decades not having these, being actively told what their values are, but not being allowed to discover themselves. Whereas most other people would get to kind of even if they haven't done this exercise or had this process of realization most people kind of are allowed to find out who they are mm. whereas former jehovah's witnesses are told who they are and they're yeah. told what their values are yeah. and they're told these things will make you happy whereas the reality is for many of them these things will make you profoundly 
unhappy. Exactly. Um, I, I think that's interesting. So what we've basically got is the way to one of uh, correct me if I'm wrong. One of the best ways to actually get into the habit of make, being confident about making decisions is actually to kind of dig under the foundations and find out my values. What makes me happy? Where do I want to go in life? Mm. And fixing that under once you get an underlying understanding of that, the really big decisions in life you have your guiding star. Yeah. And also you you and the other thing is you always remember you can course correct. Absolutely. So don't view this as oh if I've made the wrong decision it's like okay we'll go and change it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and also you know let's all start being a little bit kinder to ourselves as well. Mm. If we make the I say I'm getting away from this wrong decision thing. You mm. know if we make a decision and we don't end up where we want to be, let's be kind to ourselves. Yeah. It happens. We're human. We're imperfect, as the Watchtower loves to tell us all. <laughs> We're imperfect. It's okay. Remember that, as you say, we can course correct. We can pick ourselves up yeah. again. We can do something different. And again, this is the joy of being able to direct our own lives. And I think, and one of the probably one of the interesting ways to finish this question off is, uh, and we did discuss this in episode three, um, there's an interviewer called Tim Ferriss who interviews incredibly successful people, uh, people who've achieved very high achievers in all forms of life, art, media, politics, business, engineering, science. And one question he asks them is, what was your most useful mistake? Because what happens sometimes is you make a decision, doesn't turn out the way you planned, but it actually taught you the most, the lessons you needed to succeed later in life. Or it went to a place where you thought at the time, this is the worst possible outcome. And it turned out to be the best possible outcome. You know, for example, some people, they, they take a job and it all goes horribly wrong, but it makes them realize, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And that was the realization that made them find what they did want to do. Mm-hmm. So again, don't be too scared of making that mistake because that mistake might be the best decision you ever made. Mm. So moving on to our next question. Uh, Again, it's a listener who's asked to be anonymous. Um, I listened and thoroughly enjoyed the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. You asked for questions, so here is mine. I am in my mid-40s, but from a job point of view, it's like I'm a teenager, as most of the jobs I've done are typically JW cleaning or retail. On the one hand, I was lucky to get funded for academic research, so I'm highly qualified. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm highly qualified, but that was a very isolating experience. I feel totally out of my depth in the workplace with other people who've been working for years. And of course, they expect me to know my way around a workspace. I am struggling with constantly feeling off kilter and incapable. So any suggestions? So that's the question. First of all, dude, kudos, as Alice said, for getting funded on the research um, and the qualifications. That's... um, that's a really good, really good achievement right there. So you're already you're already on the right path. But how do we deal with this, Alice? When people who are coming out of the JWs, they've spent a lot of time in these kind of I don't want to say menial jobs because they're not menial. These are important jobs. People do them. People make a, you know people can make a very you know worthwhile yeah, be, life and be very happy doing them. Yeah. But but for a lot of people, it's like they they do one job that never really fit them, mm. and then they want to perhaps spread their wings and do something else. And they have this sensation, as he said, he's constantly feeling off kilter, mm. incapable, mm. Uh, and not able to navigate that workspace. But everyone around him has been doing this for years. They have all this experience, and he's kind of sat there like, "Ew, what do I do?" Yeah. So how do we how do we get over this? Well, the first thing I wanted to say is, "Damn, I know that feeling." Um, <laughs> so. It, 
when we when we all grow up as a as a JW, I, I feel like so many of these questions are actually kind of going to cross over. When we grow up as a JW, we are told that um, you know we we are undeserving of God's love, God's God's undeserved kindness, mm-hmm. as in we're undeserving of that. We're told that we're not capable of directing our own step. We're told to listen to instruction and follow it, and you know, we, even we, if it does not seem reasonable we, at the time, oh, drink the Kool Aid. How yeah, culty can you get? Exactly. Um, so you know, it, it, again, it really, really important to to understand where this is coming from, and to to, to first of all to say, um, you know, it's okay and it's understandable that you're feeling this way. Um, and as Covert just said there, I mean, congratulations first of all on getting that funding and on also following your dream to something that you obviously really want to do. Mm, and as Covert absolutely. said, I'm not in any way trying to say that if you do cleaning or retail or any of those other jobs that there's something wrong with that because there isn't. But it's all about the fact that you knew that you wanted to follow a certain path and you've taken steps to get there. But what's also happened, it sounds like, is that you've now got yourself into this scenario and rather than being able to enjoy it and to you know to 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 bask in the glory of 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 having worked really hard and achieved what you've wanted now you're stuck with imposter syndrome mm-hmm. which is essentially you're you're feeling as you say off kilter you uh, feel like maybe you don't really deserve to be there maybe everybody else knows more than you and you're going to get found out yeah and i just want to say that this is called this is a syndrome this is called imposter syndrome and the reason um this thing's called imposter syndrome is because lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people have this enough so that it's recognized as a syndrome um now the interesting thing about imposter syndrome alice is um what kind of people tend to get this High-achieving, successful, intelligent people tend to get imposter syndrome. There's an opposite to this, which is called uh, the Dunning-Kruger problem. And the Dunning-Kruger problem refers to people who think they're incredibly competent, intelligent, and they can do absolutely everything. Usually people with that attitude, they're often absolutely awful at what they're trying to do. Mediocre, Mediocre at best. At let's, best. let's be okay. slightly generous. Mediocre. Okay. Now, if we're honest, <laughs> we probably all know people who appear to be completely... Oh, yeah, I can do absolutely everything, I'm fine. And they genuinely do, and they're walking disaster areas, but they don't seem to realise. Whereas the imposter syndrome, as Alice said, you'll find that... Um, it's actually... Re- I think most people have it. Because most people are always aware, we're all only aware of, we're only aware of our own internal monologue. And I think most people's own internal monologue is constantly the legs of the swan, which are furiously churning away, barely hanging on. But other people only see the swan gliding effortlessly across. So there's an example I wanted to bring up, which is a guy called, I saw interviewed a guy called Henry, Henry Rollins. Now, he's a former punk singer with the punk band Black Flag. He's an incredibly successful musician. He's got his own publishing company. He does speaking tours. He's, he's met incredibly successful people. He's, he's a, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, this guy's done very well. And I saw him interviewed on a podcast. And he was basically saying he's always working always working and one of the reasons they asked him is is because i'm constantly about i'm constantly convinced that everyone's going to realize i'm a talentless hack and throw me out he's he's genuinely saying i i I came from nowhere um and suddenly i'm here and i am constantly terrified that everyone's going to realize hang on a minute this guy's got no talent get rid of him so he says i'm literally he's like literally amazed when any work comes his way and from the outside you look at him and think this guy is incredibly talented and successful but inside he's feeling off kilter incapable and struggling around his workspace. So 
I think the first way of dealing with this is to recognise, yeah, dude, probably everyone has this. And if they don't have this to some degree, they probably should mm. start trying to have it. <laughs> and, and, when, and when I say that this is common, I'm not in any way trying mm. to trivialise it. Because, mm. you know, this is a big deal. Yes. So when I say, you know, when we're talking about the fact it's a syndrome and lots of people have it, I'm not in any way trying to say, duh, that's really common, get over it. That's not what I'm mm. saying. This is a really big deal and it can be paralyzing. And also, to be honest, it is a form of anxiety. Mm. Imposter syndrome, this feeling of, of, of you know, I'm going to get found out. Everybody else knows more than me. Everybody else is better at this than me. And we then all get into get into the shoulds, which is a terrible word. I should mm. be better. I should know more. I should be more experienced. I should, 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 should. Mm. This is something that can cause an awful lot of anxiety. If anxiety is um, either the root cause or a result of this, the other thing to bear in mind is there's no shame in having any form of anxiety and there is professional help available for you. Mm. One of the things I said way back when, when we started this podcast is there is no substitute for professional help when it comes to anxiety, depression, mental health issues, all of those sorts of things. It's not taboo. It's nothing to be ashamed of. If we are struggling with anxiety, imposter syndrome, if it's really affecting our day-to-day life, get your ass to the doctor, get your ass to a therapist and get some help. And there is absolutely no shame in doing that. The thing also about then this imposter syndrome is a lot of it. So, so we've also talked about the fact, you know, we might feel like we know what we're doing. We, we, sorry, we might feel like we don't know what we're doing. Spoiler alert, nobody knows what they're doing. Mm. They're just hiding it better. And I fundamentally believe that that's the case for 95% of people in the world. Don't get me wrong, there are some beings who just, you know, travel through life and everything seems to go right and they don't have this, but they are few and far between. Mm. Most people... Nobody knows what they're doing. Most people are white-knuckling it. Oh, God, They are, absolutely. We're all just flying by the seat of our pants. And one other thing I thought for this is... That you can actually be a you can actually control this a little bit. Um, and now this the bad news is this is going to require some hard work and dedication on your part. But from the sound of it, you're highly qualified and you got funded, so you're not someone who's adverse to hard work. So if there are things aspects of your job that you're a bit, I'm not sure if I'm fully capable. Well, do some research, do some training, learn it. If you've got a presentation that's coming up and you're not sure about it, work twice as hard on that presentation. If you're going into a meeting, make sure you know all your facts. If you've got Um, a paper you've got to submit for academic research, start on it two weeks before you need to, review it twice as much as you might need to, because one of the things I found this, because in my life I've been thrown into situations where I don't know what I'm doing, the way through it is to get aggressive with it, go, right, I'm going to know twice as much as everybody else, I'm going to need to work harder than everybody else. If you really do feel that, because I found this, accept it, you can can say to yourself, I'm really going to work hard, I want this. I want this job, I want this career, I accept that maybe I'm coming in a little bit, you know, everyone else had a bit of a head start, so I'm going to take responsibility. Mm. I'm going to work hard, I'm going to know what I'm talking about, I'm going to do research, and I'm still probably going to feel imposter syndrome, but that's okay, because one way you can make that go down a little bit is to walk into those meetings knowing exactly what you're talking about, is to have prepared that presentation and run through it enough times so that you're happy, is to have, um, you know, 
done done your background checks and arrived a little bit early before everyone else so that you you you've prepared the room or you know what's going on all those things can also help you and from the sound of it if you're highly qualified and you've already got funding you're the kind of person who's prepared to put that little bit of extra work in anyway so i mean i don't know if you'd agree with that alice but i think you can help yourself by just taking responsibility and saying okay i'm i'm going to work a little bit harder maybe than mm. everyone else because maybe I feel like I need to, but that's okay. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there, there are definitely things like that that you can do to make yourself feel uh, more in control. Um, I also find that sometimes, and, you know, this may be something that, uh, that our listener here is also referring to, that a lot of the time it's not necessarily about the academic side of things or the what we know or, um, you know, the papers that we're writing or, or, you know, the sort of technical aspect. A lot of it is about how we actually navigate the situations that are faced with us. You know, if we're dealing with a co-worker and a conflict arises or um, how do we ask for pay rises or how do we ask for more responsibility or how do we challenge our boss when we've had a bad review or something has happened Mm. that's unfair? You know, and those sorts of things aren't so much necessarily necessarily about the technical aspect of our job they're more about you know dealing with people yeah um and the things i would say there a lot of this comes to something we were talking about a minute ago which is knowing ourselves so that because what would happen with me sometimes is a little bit of a personal anecdote is i would be work work working something would happen which would either annoy me or i think wasn't right or i wanted to challenge back or you know my boss would say something to me and i would almost know for a fact he was wrong but I didn't have the confidence and the knowledge and the self-belief to stand in my truth and say actually no you know Mm. I deserve that pay pay rise or I deserve that promotion which Mm. is a mixture of not understanding or not knowing yourself not having the self-confidence so personal growth work here is also something that I think may well really really help um Going back to that values exercise we were talking about in, in earlier as well, coming to know ourselves better. Um, also, and I don't know what kind of work environment that, uh, that you work in, but a lot of the time now, HR departments have courses and support for helping people do this sort of thing. So a lot of HR departments now think about personal growth and personal skills, not just about to do your job better, Mm. but to help you exist in a work environment better. If that's not something that's available within your HR, then by all means, do some Google work. Find yourself some exercises. Go through some values exercises. Mm. Do some journaling that we've talked about before. Think about maybe taking on some meditation, 10 minutes a day or something like that. Just all these small little personal growth and personal development exercises that can really help you to grow as an individual to cope with what's going on from a almost a social point of view yeah. of your work life. So I think there's another aspect from there, as you said, if you're feeling imposter syndrome and worried that everyone's going to find you out... One of the aspects, as you brought up, is the kind of the social aspect that you not only need to be able to sort of stand your ground when you need to, but also you need to kind of like navigating that office space socially um, can be quite important because people you work with, if they come to rely on you and they have a good working relationship with you, if you've established yourself as someone who does their job to the best of their ability and is productive to work with and people people are happy to work with... Um, it's going to be easier for you to integrate yourself into that working environment. And it doesn't mean be a brown nose or be a pushover, 
But there is also, let's face it, we've all, we've all been in offices. We've all known that one person who walks in the office and every, no one wants to deal with them because mm. they're just difficult. And it doesn't matter how talented they are. They could be incredibly talented, but everyone just wants an excuse to get away from them. And we've also known people who we really enjoyed working with. It didn't mean they were a brown nose, but you know, those really decent, good employees when you know, oh yeah, when this guy comes on the, the project, it always gets done. And it's in control and they're calm and they're professional. And, you know, this is someone who I'm quite happy to work with. That will actually help you a lot in your career, um, especially because people tend to meet people in the same industry. So chances are you, the people you are working with now, you might be interviewing with five years time. Um, so I think the other thing is build a good reputation if you can. And as someone who's a hardworking professional employee who people will remember um, and they'll maybe want to take you with them in the career, They'll want it if, they, if you come up into an interview later. They'll yeah, I want to work with this guy. I've worked with him before. He's you know, let's get him on board. And also for promotion, I think it can also help you for promotion as well. So, and I've got just sort of thinking about this question. Obviously, we've talked a lot in in sort of general terms about personal growth, but I've got two quick, short, sharp exercises that you can do pretty much anywhere if you're sat at your desk and you're suddenly feeling these feelings of overwhelm I don't know what I'm doing how do I navigate this I feel out of control etc etc two really short sharp exercises the first one grab yourself a blank piece of paper and write out all the achievements that have got you to this position you clearly are an intelligent person you clearly know what you're talking about I just want you to scribble down I got funding for this I got this um, academic uh, qualification. I got this research. I landed this job. I blah, blah, blah. I escaped from a cult. All the amazing things. Just write them all out. Read them and feel them. Really, you know, let them fill you up. Imagine that they're a bright white light and they're filling you up from inside. Close your eyes and think about it. Point number one. Point number two comes back to something that we talk about quite a lot, which is fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Now, you can apply it in many, many different ways. However, and I'm about to go all woo-woo on your ass, I'm afraid, <laughs> people talk about power poses. So a power pose, is that like the rock guy on stage with, you know, with the microphone and then he's, he's got like one hand and he's kind of doing the power pose. Like a, like a Freddie Mercury. Like Freddie Mercury. Is that what we're doing? You walk into your office and you kind of go, Mama! Just kill the man! I'm doing the pretty much Please don't pose. do that again. Okay. Um, ironically, that's exactly what I am talking about. Maybe in a slightly toned down way. Don't necessarily wear the white vest. It depends on the figure that you've got. I don't know. It's fine. Um, but ironically, that is actually what I'm talking about. Studies have shown that even if we don't feel a certain way, if we put our body to look like we feel that way, it does actually affect our mood. Now, this is something that actually you hear in a lot of sort of women's groups and women empowerment groups, but the, the principle uh, stays true no matter what. So if we're feeling overwhelmed, if we're feeling like we don't belong, if we're feeling like we don't know what we're talking about, I want you to stand up and I want you to throw your shoulders back Depending on what environment you're in, if you're standing in the middle of the office, putting your hands on your hips and throwing your chest out, you might look a little bit stupid. I don't know. It's up to you. Or take yourself to the toilet. But just put yourself, put your body physically into a position. Mm. This is what I would look like if I felt the way that I wanted to feel. Mm. And I guarantee you, you will start to feel that way. 
So it is a little bit about presence. You know, it is about Freddie Mercury. He walked onto a stage and he commanded that I stage. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, scaramouche, <laughs> will you do the fandango? Thunderbolts and oh, lightning, God, very, very frightening. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Galileo. No, okay, sorry, after you. <laughs> Oh dear, uh, where was I? Um, but if you think about Freddie Mercury, or you think about any of these, um, you know, these, Robbie Williams is another great one. He walks onto a stage and he commands that stage. Now we all know retrospectively that people like Robbie Williams and Freddie Mercury um, and so many of these people mm. actually suffered from crippling anxiety yeah. and depression. And sometimes when they were about to walk out on that stage, they really felt down and, and, and insular. But no matter Ozzy Osbourne, what else, apparently. Ozzy Osbourne, exactly. If you look at so many of these people, actually, but as soon as they walked out, they put themselves, they put their body into the position, they acted the way that they thought they would look if they felt a certain mm. way. And so that is my second quick tip, which is if you're struggling with this, you know, if you need to take yourself off to the toilets or if you need to walk yourself around the block, put your body into the position that you would be in if you felt the way you want to feel and I guarantee something shifts. It's all about the connection between brain and body. It's really, really exciting stuff. So there you have it. Everything is better with Queen. <laughs> okay, so our third question is from Evelyn De La Ombra on Twitter. Um, who, by the way, if you're not following Evelyn, you should, because she is a fantastic activist. Absolutely. Go and find her on YouTube as well. Mm, fantastic YouTube videos. So she has an interesting question. She says, I'm not sure how you'd frame this, but I've always wondered how people navigate other religions when they leave the JWs. I don't personally believe, but a lot of people do. And it must be overwhelming and frightening, given the Babylon the Great rhetoric from the Watchtower. So this is interesting. So um, I think the... The way I understand this question is um, some people leave the Jehovah's Witnesses and they go into other religions. And if, if, they're, if they're religiously inclined and want to explore those religions, how do they do so given the fact that Watchtower has told them that all religion is Babylon the Great and evil and in control of Satan? How do they navigate that hurdle on that journey of exploration mm. into this previously demonised world? Mm. What, do you, what do you think of that personally? Well, this is a bit of a tricky one for me, and I'm going to be really, really honest, um, which implies that I'm not always, I always am. But this question is hard for me to, to think around and answer, because I personally don't understand the drive if you're, if you're getting out of uh, JW or any other you know, cult slash religion slash sect, whatever you want to call it, I don't understand the drive of why you would then go and affiliate yourself in some way with another religion. Now, I am, um, I'm not a believer. So, you know, I'm coming from that point of view. It doesn't take away from the fact that I fully respect people's uh, right to believe and to go and, and find, uh, you know, a, a different religious path if they want to. I find it difficult to understand that motivation. But what I will say, and this is as much a, a sort of answer back to myself when I, when I say this, is that everything comes from asking questions, gaining knowledge, gaining understanding. So for my part, I think it would be important for me to try and understand from those people why it is that they feel that having left one religion, they want to somehow find another. For me, it, 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 feels, it feels like another way of being controlled. 
Um, but obviously that's not how it feels to other people. And they, you know, I respect and, and, and fully support their right to do that. But I think it's about knowledge, asking the questions and asking without judgment and asking with a genuine, it, it's, it, it's, it's that old thing of, of uh, listening, uh, or listening to understand rather than listening to reply. And so many yeah. of us, when we're having a conversation, what we're actually doing when we're having a debate, for example, is we're listening and we're thinking about what we're going to say next. We're listening to the other person, but what's going on in the back of our brain is, well, how am I going to respond to this? How am I going to prove what they've just said wrong? We're mm. listening to reply. Whereas actually what we need to do is listen to understand. So we need to actually think about what the other person's saying, not because we want to come up with a pithy remark or a pithy comment, but really to try to understand them. And I think that certainly is something that I need to do when thinking about these other people who go uh, and want to explore other religions. Um, but also then for, for, for these other people who are trying to navigate this world of where do I, you know, I, I have a faith, I have spirituality, I want a home for it. Where am I going to mm. find that home? Listen and understand and really try to, 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 to just hear what's what's being said rather than trying to come up with, you know, mm. comparisons or, or, or pithy comments or next remarks. I think that's interesting because I think it, this is a really interesting question, actually, because, <clears throat> I mean, similar, I'm, I'm an agnostic atheist, um, so I don't personally have um, uh, a religion that I follow. I have one of the fascinating freedoms I have since leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses is I can actually sit down with people of other religions and just ask them about why they feel the way they do without the need to then disprove what they've just said. Um, I've had a number of experiences when I've been able to sit down with people who are believers and just ask them, um, how do they view the world? You know, what reasons brought them to that? Just kind of understand how they're thinking. And frequently now, I very rarely challenge, even if I disagree, because I just find it interesting to find out how other people tick. I think the other part of this question is, you know, Watchtower has demonized Babylon the Great. So you've got this entire vast spectrum of human philosophy and culture and thinking, because so much of what we class as religion is often our attempts as humans to understand the world and derive morals and philosophy and reasoning. And also then those religions, you know, so much of culture is derived from religion and so much of religion drives culture. Um, and Watchtower demonizes that a lot. And so there might be a bit of a, if you are someone who wants to still have a religious side, you might still be scared about getting involved with Babylon the Great. Um, there's a great, I think ultimately research is your friend. Um, the same research that brought you out of Watchtower and helped you overcome the fear of leaving Watchtower will help you with the question of religion. So start researching religious faiths. Talk to people of those faiths. Start just trying to find your path. Understand that what's been, you know, what's been demonized by Watchtower um, isn't forbidden to you. And start the journey. Start exploration. Ask questions. Um, find your path. I mean, this is me being a bit vague again because I'm I'm personally not religious, but I'm very interested in philosophy, and I do find religion fascinating because for me, it's it's the human race looking at itself and trying to understand itself and our impulses and and find answers to moral questions and and grapple with things like why are we here? You know, how do we deal with mortality? Um, and so I do. I still kind of I'm interested in religion, even though I'm not personally religious. Um, 
But I think I think what you said there, Alice, is very true. Is like maybe the best way about <clears throat> when we have these <laughs> questions is to find because there are many Jehovah's Witnesses, people who leave the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses who do still have a religion. Um, I think there's quite a few on the XJW Reddit actually, because mm. I know the XJW Reddit is majority people who aren't religious, but there are a lot of religious believers on there. So have a chat with them. I'm sure they'd be fascinating because a lot. I think a lot of people once they realise that you're not entering into the discussion to smash them down. But if you're saying, look, I'm not even going to. Maybe if you say, I'm not even going to challenge you on anything. You say, I'm just really curious. I want to understand things from where you, you where you sit because I, I I just you know I'm just interested in your perspective in your view of the world and what it's like to walk a mile in your shoes. Um, that's probably a good exercise anyway for us for us all. But I think for this question especially, and again, maybe this is something I should do more is sit with people who are walking a different path. Um, and this is good, not just religious. Do this with people who walk different political paths, who walk different ethical paths, who, who have a slightly different path to you. And just say, okay, man, just, just, just tell me how it is. Just show me your road. And I'm just going to sit here. And even if I come away thinking I don't agree with a single thing you've said, but at least I understand why you think the way you do it. I understand why you're walking your road. And I think at the risk of being a little bit John Lennon, imagine, I think one of the the, the world would be a better place if everyone just took that time to look at each other's roads and see each other, see things a little bit from everyone else's perspective. And even if you don't agree, just try to understand. So for our fourth and final question, we have a question that was posed to us on Twitter by Robert at The Good Rationalist. And he says, and this is an interesting question, how can I maintain my fade without lying to my physically in, mentally in family about my atheist beliefs? And how do I strike a balance between keeping my mouth shut to preserve relations and mentioning a bit about what the inverted commas truth really is? So Alice, how do we go about doing that? How does a person, let's first of all clarify a fade. Um, A fade is the ability to kind of drift out of the Jehovah's Witness organization without being either thrown out by being disfellowshipped or officially leaving by disassociation. Essentially, how do I get out of this religion so I can live my own life without losing my family Mm. is is what this boils down to. But his question is, how do I fade without lying to them about what I believe? Um. I've got a short answer and a long answer. Let's do the short answer first. Okay, so the question is, how can I fade without lying to my Pimmy physically and mentally and family about my atheist beliefs? Short answer, you can't. The second part of this question, how do I strike a balance between keeping my mouth shut to preserve the relations and mentioning a bit about what the truth really is? Short answer, you don't. This is where we have uh, what are called, I think, two mutually exclusive objectives. Um, And I think this is interesting because I think what you're going to have to decide, Robert, is decide right now which of these objectives is more important to you. If your primary objective is to fade... And retain your family. And retain your family... The more you talk about your atheist beliefs, the less likely you make that possible. Um, The more you talk about it, the more likely they are to shun you of their own accord, or that conversation will get back to the elders and they will start to try and track you down for a judicial committee. Uh, Or it's possible, and I know some people just do this, you can sometimes be considered disassociated if you are 
your family might just consider you to have disassociated yourself with your comments. Now, there's a spectrum. So you might be able to say one or two things and get away with it or three or four things and get away with it. But the more you talk, the less likely the successful your fade is. So I think what you're going to have to do now, the first thing is decide what's more important to you. Is it fading and keeping your family? Or is it speaking out about the, um, the reality of, of what the Jehovah's Witness organization actually is, which is a controlling cult? And be honest with yourself. Um, take some time. Don't do anything rash. Take some time. If you seriously decide, no, no, the, the priority for me right now is to tell my family what I think of this religion, do it, but understand it could cost you your fade. If your priority is to, I want to, right now I want to fade and keep my family, then do it, but understand that that means you, you are best served by not talking to them about it at all. Mm. Um, Alice, what do you think about that? Well, I think everything that you've just said is spot on. Um, and I think, you know, as our listeners will know um, from our previous conversations, um, Covert and myself, we've both managed to pull off, so far, successful fates. And what I mean by that is, speaking for myself personally, I'm in a position at the moment where my um, parents... I still have a relatively good relationship with them. There are still areas where certain things are a little strained, but I'm in a position, I'm, you know, I'm not even close to being shunned. We talk regularly. I see them regularly. Uh, we've been on holiday together. Um, so I have, in the 12-ish years that I've been out, I've managed to pull off that fade. What I've never done is I have never until very recently, and I'll come back to that in a second, I've never railed against the Watchtower. I've never sat down with them and told them all the reasons why I think it's a load of bollocks. And it's also a reason why now, as everyone will know, and as I'm very open about, Alice is not my real name. The reason for that is because I am still continuing my fade. A fade is not something that has a, a short timeline, timeline on it. A fade is something that carries on potentially for many, many years. And it's also something that could come crashing down on you at any point. So I think the point that you made there, Kova, about choosing which of these two um, yeah. avenues to take, which is the most important to you? If it's keeping your fade and if it's keeping your family, then it's possible that you may have to bite your tongue for a really, really long time. Alternatively, if you do think, and, and if this is what you're thinking, I would urge you to think about it some more. If this is what you decide to do, then obviously that's your choice, but you really need to think about the implications of this because if you do think that speaking out and, and, and you know talking about all the problems is the most important thing for you, then you need to realise that you are jeopardising that fade and you're jeopardising the relationship with your family. So whichever path you choose you're going to lose something. You're giving up something. You're either giving up your family or you're giving up your right to freedom of speech. And that's not fair, but that's the way it is, I'm afraid. Yeah. And I think and in a way, I really relate to this question because we all have that. Once we first realise that we're, you know, what the Watchtower is, this desire to tell everybody and to 
um, explain to all of our JW family and friends because we want them to get out as well. We want everyone to get out of this awful cult. So I, I completely, I want, one thing I want to make clear, Robert, is we're not saying that you, you haven't thought this through. I completely get where this impulse comes totally. from because this was me. We totally. all, we've all been like, I want to get you all out. I want to save you all. The thing you have to remember is that conversation you might have in your head is I'm going to sit them down and prove it. It can work, but they have to be in the right place. And what you'll find is the people for whom that works, they went about it over time. So people who have, um, I discussed it in episode two with Lloyd Evans. I mean, he he successfully got his wife out, but it was a long period of conversations. And he he let her approach him with questions. He wasn't lecturing her about his beliefs. He, he basically let her know that she, he was available for her to talk. And she gradually approached him. Um, it was a, it took a long period of time. So I would, I would hazard a guess that 99% of the time, if you, um, if you just start talking to JWs about the problem with their religion, they probably won't listen to you and you'll probably find the elders hunting you down. So I completely, I get where this, this feeling of being dragged in two directions come from because it's so powerful. Um, but again, I think the thing, this, you can't really, basically the more, the more honest you are about the beliefs, the more you're jeopardizing your fate. So decide which of those, as Alice said, decide which of those is more important to you. Make that your goal. And then maybe revisit every software. Maybe little opportunities will come up for you to discuss things without damaging your fate. One thing to keep in mind with fading is that time does wonders. Mm. And if you have, and it may unfortunately be a period of years, but as, as Alice's experience has been, um, with, with my JW family, I haven't really broached this at all. Um, but I think with Alice, with her parents, as she said, she has been able to have slight discussions. But Alice is, is it, I don't know how many years you've been out, but it's over 10. Yeah, I mean, it's its its sort of 12 to 15 years now yeah. for me. Um, and as, as I was saying, for, for, for many, many, many of those years, um, it didn't come up. Um, partly because I think my parents were afraid to ask. Mm. Because they, they, they didn't they knew that they were probably going to get an answer that they didn't want. And also because I didn't bring it up for the very real reason that I knew that if I did, it was potentially going to cause problems. Now, having said that, over the period of time that's passed, so the one thing that's really important when you are um, conducting a fade or when you're going for a fade, and I know, Covert, you're going to come and talk about this really specifically in a a podcast episode... Uh, yeah. to be to be had at some point take a drink people um one of the things that um that is really looked on is whether or not you're known as a jehovah's witness in the community now obviously the longer time passes you become increasingly more not associated as being a jw in the community mm-hmm. and as time goes on years and years you know people in the congregation people move in people move out a lot of people in the congregation would never know that you had been a jw in the past so i've now reached a point with my parents where i have had a few conversations very very carefully about some of the issues that i see with the religion um they didn't go very well everybody got very upset and what was also very interesting is that as soon as i tried to make logical points both of my parents shut down completely they would not engage on the logic at all but having said that and i actually tweeted about this this week um my parents have always said to me or the last few years they've said to me that Everything's great now while, you know, whilst I'm sort of chugging along and potentially not doing anything that they particularly disagree with. But everything would change if, for example, 
I was overtly, you know, being flagrantly against um, against their rules. So, for example, if I got into a relationship, they said that things would change. Now, just the last couple of weeks, I've actually told them that I am in a serious relationship. I only got told them a couple of weeks ago. It's actually been going on for some time. And what was really heartening about that was that they were really excited for me and they were really happy for me. And they even agreed to meet him, which I was not expecting. I was hoping for, but I wasn't expecting. And so as time's gone on, I'm just using this as an illustration to show that as time's gone on, because of the number of years that have passed, they've now reached a point where I don't think even they see me as, you know, they don't necessarily associate me and the JW faith. It's not the first thing that they think of every single time that they see me. So this takes time, this takes years. It may be that you never get to a position with your family where you're, where you're able to raise this, this sort of stuff. But the longer you leave it without having those discussions, I would say the greater chance you have of, of, of keeping your family and also eventually maybe getting to a point where you can speak your mind. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't encountered this problem with my JW family. I, I haven't told them about my Tinder profile, so I have to see how that goes down. It's actually just a picture of my Cobalt Fade logo. It's just this weird kind of cartoon cat looking back at people. It's like, weirdly enough, people don't swipe. Or the people who do are really scary. I was going to say, you're going to attract a very weird subset of women. Very strange. Yeah, yeah. that's odd. This this will be either a really interesting relationship or I'll be killed and buried in the back garden. Uh, If the the forward casts uh, stop coming, I guess you're going to find out. But (laughs) yeah, so that's um, what I just want to finish with, Robert, is um, good luck to whatever you choose. Um, whatever you choose at the end of the day, choose what's right for you. If it's the right decision, wishing you all the best. Um, just be true to yourself. Work out what you really want. And then once you've worked out what you want, whatever you choose, that's the right decision. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and I think I really want to echo that. And what I wouldn't want is for you to in any way think that, that, that what we're trying to say here is that you should or shouldn't take a certain course of action. Again, there's that horrible word should, which I hate. It's all about what's right for you. What I would really suggest, though, is just really think through which of those two things are you willing to lose, your family or your freedom of speech? And as Covert said, whichever one of those you choose, wish you the absolute best of luck. And ladies, if you encounter the Covert Fade logo on Twitter, swipe right. I come with my own podcasting microphone and a lifetime of XJW cult mental damage. So... (laughs) That brings us to the end of this particular Q&A uh, forecast episode. Like I said, we're going to do more of these because we've got so many great questions and we can only address a certain number at any one time. But if you've got a question you'd like us to discuss, send it into jwforwardcast at gmail.com. Alice, where can we find more of you online? You can come and find me on Twitter. I'm on at the Alice Chesh. A uh, fair amount of XJW stuff, uh, a fair amount of general, mu- general musings, and an awful lot of cats. And you can find me, uh, I write articles at JW Survey. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Uh, I've got a co- channel there, Covert Fade. You can find me on Twitter at Covert Fade and on Tinder at Covert Fade, being very, very, very afraid. <laughs> Have fun, guys. We'll speak to you soon. So before we draw this episode to a final conclusion, there's just one more thing I'd like to share with you. We often talk on the forward cast about how important a proper mindset is. 
the way we look at things and the way we frame uh, events and choices can have a profound effect on our own happiness and our own determination um, and our general state of mind. And I talk about this quite a lot, both, I know Alice talks about it on the forward cast and I've discussed it quite a lot um, on, the, on the cast and also on some videos on Patreon. But I was reading something uh, recently which really struck me as very relevant to the XJW experience. Because as former Jehovah's Witnesses or as former members of any other high control group or religion or cult, we all have a period of our lives that we probably wish hadn't happened. That period of time we spent in the Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever group it was, there's a strong temptation to to look at that as wasted time and also a temptation to kind of bemoan it and focus on it in a negative way. Um, but I've been reading a lot recently and I encountered this, um, this quote um, from the philosopher and Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius, which I thought is an interesting way of reframing how we can look at our XJW experience. And he says, Be like a rocky promontory against which the restless surf continually pounds. It stands fast while the churning sea is lulled to sleep at its feet. I hear you say, how unlucky that this should happen to me. Not at all. Say instead, how lucky that I am not broken by what has happened, and I'm not afraid of what is about to happen. The same blow might have struck anyone, but not many would have absorbed it without capitulation or complaint. So I'll just leave you guys with that thought, and I'll see you all on the next forward cast. Bye-bye.